Oh yeah, I've got all, all the details, all the steps, right? It's just a, a B, C, D, E, F. <laughs> I've actually, I'm kind of an old hand now. I mean, if you go to my YouTube channel and all these other ones, I've done enough interviews no. now that uh, it's starting to get scary. I've got like 50 interviews, so. I know, uh, I've been seeing them. Movies. I've been seeing them. It's a lot of good stuff. And you wrote a bunch of books too. Yeah, so I wrote a book about the West Memphis Three, which is actually back in the news because the guy who was uh, convicted is is involved in this whole all this new information or this these deaths that are supposed to take place in arkansas by the end of the month so he's been on charlie rose he's been on De democracy now damien eccles talking about this but he's still convicted and they talked to him like he was exonerated like the D the so-called dna evidence that his defense came up with somehow magically you know waved a magic wand over his conviction that he signed in august of 2011 so it's an incredible case. There's and they just came out with two additional books recently. A guy by by the name Vanderleek and Gary Meese, who is actually in Memphis, and uh, they did both did a great job. So maybe okay know, get a chance. Hey, dude. Well, it sounds like you should be on. Uh, you should be making the rounds on television uh, with a lot of this stuff. Do you, what about uh, what's up with your YouTube channel? How come you don't have video stuff going well, on? I don't do a lot of video. I mean, I've kind of been. Um, I kind of keep low key. I've been good about not, I mean, I've I really tried to kind of keep my face off of TV. I've not been a public presence, you know, I haven't really done that. I've kind of really intentionally not put my face out there for my own uh, safety and well being. I mean, it's been, I could tell you stories, man. It's incredible. No, I can, I can imagine. Yeah, I know so, what you mean. Yeah. It's something else. I mean, I would, if you go, they basically gang stalked my Amazon book, my book on Amazon at Damien Eccles and all of his occult. He's a member of the OTO, or he was a member of Alistair Crowley's OTO, and so he's. Dude, got... you're messing with occult people, and they're and they're coming after you. Oh yeah, man, it's incredible. No, you can't well, do they, that, they man. Go, Those uh, people, yeah, psychos, psychos. Yeah. Well, you can go listen to a lot of the interviews I've done with Ed Opperman, and Ed Opperman's interviewed Gary Meese. So those, you know, if you want to kind of get a feel for what's going on with that case, it's really something else. But anyway, let's get started with this. This is this will be uh, interesting. So I'm just going to do a brief intro, introduce you, and then, you know, we'll get going. All right. Great. Great. Okay, cool. So three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, somebody who I heard on an interview. Actually, it popped up on my YouTube feed, and it was an interview he did with After Hours AM with. Uh, a, by, a guy by the name of Joe Sturgis. His name is John D'Souza. He is or was formerly an FBI special agent. And tonight we're going to talk with him about uh, some of his more recent works and also his book called The Para Investigators, 52 True Tales and Concepts of Supernaturally Gifted Investigators. And I did read about uh, a little over half of this book. I really enjoyed it. But uh, Mr. D'Souza, are you there? Yes, I am, William. It's great to be on the air with you great. here, man. Thank you very, very much, nice. John. I really appreciate it. I uh, listened to the interview you did on After Hours AM, and I was really astonished about your analysis on a lot of those cases, particularly the Smiley Face Killers case, which I've been working on. I've done some interviews with other people who've researched that case and read a number of books on the Smiley Face Killers. So uh, I just was really uh, I, I listened to that interview with great interest and uh, was very impressed with your analysis. So I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk about your perspective on these cases and also your book. So 
Maybe the best thing you can do to people who haven't heard of you or your name is maybe talk about your background and how you got involved with the FBI. Great. Uh, yes, William, uh, as you said in your kind introduction there, my name is John D'Souza. I was a special agent with the FBI for over 20 years. Uh, during that time, I worked mostly counterterrorism investigations and also some also a lot of criminal investigation high profile cases i worked uh let me see i worked uh the unabomber case uh, which is a case that went on for nearly 20 years uh, the most successful uh, domestic terrorist in the history of the united states of america he was the guy who was sending around little package bombs to people's homes and their businesses and they would just see these packages that they weren't expecting bring them into their homes and they would be then go into their kitchen or something and they would open up the package and they would get blown up and he did that for nearly 20 years and i, I write about that in the uh, power of my book uh, the power investigators uh, true tales and concepts of supernaturally gifted investigators and uh I also worked. Uh, I worked the '93 World Trade Center bombing, and also 9/11 bombing as well. Uh, the 9/11 terrorist acts as well uh, that brought down the World Trade Center, as well as many others. I worked with serial killers as well uh, over the years, and so all of this sort of knowledge and experience uh, has helped me to understand when there are criminal situations that just aren't quite right that aren't where something is really out of place. Uh, that's why I always, that's why I always ask people to just, uh, especially people who are interested in investigation in any capacity. I don't care if you're a security guard, a ghost hunter, uh, anyone who is interested, or if you just follow killers and a lot of these mysteries and, and crimes that, that are, that are high profile. I always ask people, please just go read from my book, the, my first book, The Para Investigators, uh, just read the, the free sample on uh, Amazon. Uh, read the first 50 pages because it's, it's a good uh, review of what real investigation is and what true investigators actually do. Because uh, unfortunately, uh, television has pretty much ruined uh, what that means for most people in most people's minds. Uh, they haven't people don't have a real understanding of what real investigations means and so when they see something being done uh, it, whether by police or by police detectives or by agencies uh, like the FBI they don't have a good sense for what is proper to do I mean people to this day still believe that because of television they still believe that if you get fingerprints at a crime scene that's basically it I mean the, the thing is over Right. Or you get a DNA sample. It's, you get a DNA sample. It's oh, it's, it's done. It's called the CSI effect. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. that's good. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, that that's actually good. came up when I, in my uh, investigation into the West Memphis Three. It's like people think <laughs> oh, that once yeah. they've got DNA, and every case has DNA too. That's it. So yeah. once they get DNA, then it's over, and they can you know, the whole case. Exactly. Over. And people don't understand that if you don't have a basis of comparison for the fingerprints, uh, because the criminal was kind enough to do previous crimes. And therefore, you know, you have the end, uh, the NCICS, uh, the NCI uh, database that has previous fingerprints uh, to compare them to, or a subject that you have under suspicion that you can take and compare to the fingerprints. Then, basically, then you have nothing. 
the fingerprints don't give you anything unless you have a basis for comparison you know and unless you know or if you know that the uh, that the perpetrator was in the military you know and therefore the military has all the fingerprints there are basis for comparison or the dna has the basis for comparison so yeah these these are things uh people also people also believe that polygraphs are an investigative tool right. when they're not i have had i have stood and I have stood in, in very high-level uh, multiple murders and had uh, and had uh, high government officials say to me, well, aren't you going to bring in the polygrapher and uh, do polygraphs? And, you know, that's, uh, that's basic investigation is that a polygraph is not an investigative tool. It is, it is a coercive tool for after you know who did the crime. That's, right. that's what it is. It's definitely not. An investigative tool for building a case, and I have, I have, again, people just have no idea. That's why, like I said, I, I always ask people, please just read the first fifty pages of my book, The Para Investigators, which gives a good review of what real investigation means, what it, what it, uh, what it signifies. Uh, I mean, the other basic thing is people don't understand what real. And again, one of the chapters and opening chapters in my book is real investigation what it means right people don't people don't understand that real invest real evidence can be a rumor it can be something that uh because if you take that rumor that's called raw data and you place it against a bunch of other rumors that repeat the same patterns and the same assertions in them again and again and again that adds up that adds up to real evidence those patterns those clues that you can connect um people believe that anything uh, that you cannot put into a test tube and that men can in white lab coats can can't measure and and put and, and and take instruments to that it can't be real evidence but evidence simply means anything that is likely to make any assertion more or less true right and that i think includes, that I, right and i think that's ahead. the basic gist of of your book is that you know, you talk about the five sens sensory box, the fact that, yeah. you know, there's something beyond touch, taste, sight, scent, smell, right? That uh, something like that. So I think that you really successfully uh, related that in your book the, uh, and, you know, talked about you know, in the para investigator book. So I really thought that you did a great job with that. What led you to to write that book? It was basically it was basically that uh, the fact that I had. So many, even FBI agents and uh, and police detectives, who didn't really understand the full scope of what real investigation is, and what real evidence is, and so I spent my entire career trying to teach people, trying to show people, demonstrate to them what real what real investigation means and, and what is involved with it. Look, as simple as this. Um, People who investigate still don't know about when you first come upon a scene, when you first come upon a scene, the first moment, whatever scene it is, any type of crime, even a mystery, whatever, uh, the five S's of investigation when you come upon a scene in the field, the five S's are seal it, separate, sample, survey, and statements. That's it. That's the basics. Uh, it means it, All it means is seal the scene. Whether you're using yellow tape or anything, you could use chairs, you could use anything, but you need to close off the area where the somehow where the area uh, where the scene actually where it occurs. You got to separate the scene. You got to 
whether it's witnesses you're talking about or artifacts, uh, you got to separate them from each other. Uh, you got to sample the scene, which means just means collect, uh, document, and preserve samples. Uh, create that chain of custody also uh, for materials. You got to survey the scene. Uh, it just means a visual survey along with uh, along with preliminary exam, photos, photo log. Uh, also, and then the final step is statements. You got to interview, interrogate witnesses. And here's the key to that is there's always witnesses. Even when you think that there's not, you think that there aren't any, they're, they're there, they're out there. You got to find them. So, I mean, this is a really basic thing. This is, that's a basic thing, investigation 101. And people, and there's cops who don't know this. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's really, um, that's really sad. But also, if you come upon a scene as a civilian, and you don't see each of these five steps at least being done, at least, and, and they don't have to be done, you know, super, th in a super thorough manner, mm -hmm. but they have to at least be touched upon each of these five steps. Uh, and if they're not, something's wrong, something's wrong, or maybe something's being avoided. So there's questions that have to arise if each of these steps, uh, if the five S's, the big five S's of initial investigation aren't covered, mm -hmm. then you gotta ask questions. You see, that's things like that is why I initially, when I joined the FBI, I was part of the last, uh, I was part of the last, uh, I, I joined the FBI because I be, had become an attorney and I didn't really want to, uh, to really uh, be uh, an active attorney. It didn't really attract me. So when the FBI recruited me, when I was uh, finishing up law school, uh, they, I was very interested. It looked a lot more interesting than uh, being a practicing attorney. Uh, so I very much enjoyed uh, enjoyed what, becoming what year did you start, part of that. What year did you start with the FBI? Well, I don't like to date myself, oh, okay. but it was towards uh, almost uh, towards the nineties. Gotcha. So you went to Quantico <laughs> and was were trained. Quantico, oh, Virginia. That's so right. What are you a Marine? No, no. But you okay. know, I, I've seen. Uh, <laughs> The Silence of the Lambs, so, you know. I, I oh, okay. Movie, so. Oh, so you saw the Academy in that movie. Yeah, I was actually at the Academy the year uh, at the same time as they were filming oh, that. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. So I saw them. I saw them with uh, Jodie Foster. Yeah, they do a uh, lot of scenes there, you know. They actually, her running yeah, around and yeah. doing the yeah. obstacle course. Did they make you run the obstacle course? Yeah. Oh, yeah. they did? Oh, yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and the only other group, uh, big, the reason I ask you if you're a Marine is because uh, there's the only other group that's very, very present at Quantico is the Marines. They have their training center there. I so, didn't know that. I never knew that. Yeah, so we see them. We would see them a lot out there at the academy when I was, uh, when I was at the academy. They'd be out running in, in groups at the same time as we were sometimes. Uh, so how so, long yeah. was your stay there then? How long did they over? Over 20 years oh. in the FBI. So, but didn't you have to get pre-training, or once you become a member of the FBI, then you go through training? Is that right? Uh, well, you get your appointment. You get your appointment, okay, and you get your uh, you get your appointment to the academy, mm -hmm. a special agent appointment. Then you go and you spend your time get through. If you can, if you can get through the academy, there's a lot of people who don't graduate and don't right. make it. Uh, a lot of people. Uh, they get injured, uh, or they get injured, or they just decide against it for whatever reason. They don't quite make it. Do you know what? The uh, but I did. Do you know the attrition I, rate? Do you know the attrition rate? It goes up and down, but I would I would estimate it probably about forty percent. Wow, that's for the most high. part. Wow. Yeah, that's it is. Difficult. But I will tell you. But let me give you a quick PSA. Uh, if anyone 
ever uh, anyone ever comes to your door, uh, whether they are men in black or any other uh, agency, and says that they are FBI agents, you always ask for, and I'm t- and for your listeners too. Anybody comes to your door, anybody claims to be an FBI agent, you always ask for their badge number in addition to their name, of course. Uh, my badge number, it, it publicly leasable information. My badge number is and always will be badge number 10585. That is my badge number, and that is how you prove that someone is actually an FBI agent. Well, that's great or information. They are allowed because uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people out there who are pretending to be FBI agents, and they really aren't, believe it or not. Fascinating. Well, that's there is that, but once you, have, once you have that badge number, you can then see and verify and really uh, an FBI agent. Same goes for any sworn officers, of course, officers and any uh, anyone who carries a gun and a badge, always. Gotcha. And it's very advisable to get that number. Great. So, you know, getting back, so you were, you were in the FBI for 20 years. You've seen so many important cases from the inside. What led you, when you wrote this book, I would say that it, it has concepts in it that may not be as buttoned down as as books published by the fbi because i think your position is there's another kind of intuitive paranormal aspect to investigating that's important would you agree with that absolutely and that's what uh para investigation actually is it's basically uh using normal methods and modalities of investigation like what i was just talking about the five s's of coming upon a scene initial investigation things like that uh but in para investigation you also allow the metaphysical aspect of of the investigation to come forward you use superconscious abilities also to resolve crimes and mysteries, uh, which just means that uh, we as officers, as agents, that we should be able to no longer have to hide uh, the ability, our intuition and our abilities that uh, sometimes manifest themselves during these investigations. It happens a lot, and it happens in a lot of the most, in a lot of legendary cases, it happens where investigators have nothing, nothing more to go on than intuition and some kind of metaphysical ability and it comes forward and sometimes it saves people's lives yeah it's interesting you mentioned uh, you know you use a couple cases in here like the atlanta terrorist bombing where the guy sensed that there was something amiss you know and what was his name it was uh that was richard jewel Jewel. that's right and that was the atlanta atlanta olympic park bombing which i believe was like in 96 uh, and uh, he was basically just a security guard who nobody ever expected anything great from him. But there was, you know, there was one night where he became the greatest investigator of all time because in Olympic Village, when there were thousands of people at one in the morning that were streaming everywhere and media that were doing interviews of athletes and uh, families, families that were walking everywhere. Like I said, thousands. The place was packed packed with people and he just he found that giant hiking bag you know it's about almost five feet tall the kind that people pack everything into and he instead of hauling it into lost and found like most uh, most people would uh he actually 
put up a police line. He did what I just said in my in my five S's of coming upon the scene. He sealed the he sealed the site. He took tape and uh, objects and he set up a perimeter around this dangerous po- possibly dangerous uh, package. And he set up a perimeter and then he shooed people away from the from the area. And, and uh, everyone, people got it on camera. People got it on camera, what he was doing. And it was on CCTV also. And he never touched the package. Like also, again, like proper procedure. He never touched the package. And, but he started yelling at people, get out of the area. And people weren't listening uh, because he's just some paunchy security guard and they didn't care what he had to say. But he started using his body, he started waving his arms, he started getting really desperate. And his voice started, he started screaming at people, get out of the area, this is a dangerous package, a very dangerous package. And he was able to do enough of that. He really got hysterical, he screamed people out of the area, they started listening to him, they started leaving the area. And just as he did that, you know, the bomb went off. And instead of killing, you know, 50 or 60 people, uh, it, it almost, it, it ended up killing, there was just one person killed. Right. And they blamed that him, guy, right? Didn't they like, yes. yes right. Yeah, because as investigators uh, on the scene, on the ground, were watching these videotapes of him, more and more of him shooing people away, of his voice going up in pitch, of him getting hysterical. As he was, as he was shooing people out of the area and using his body to actually, uh, to actually bash people out of the area, uh, it became apparent. What became apparent to me too is I watched the same tapes that he knew it was a bomb, and he did. He knew it was a bomb, but he never looked inside the package. So, how could he possibly know it was a bomb? Well, the uh, the investigators on the scene, which. It was the FBI. The investigators on the scene, they decided the only way he could know it was a bomb was that he was the bomber. That was uh, the only conclusion they could come to because they were completely based in the material world and they had no ability to look beyond that. My my conclusion was very different. I concluded that he knew it was a bomb because he had some ability to remote view or to see supernaturally inside that package that there was a bomb there because he did know it was and unfortunately uh the authorities and the media uh they uh took about 88 days and they ruined his life accusing him of being bomber putting out that narrative that he was a wannabe cop who was trying to create uh this this terrible catastrophe so that he could be a hero and that's what they ran with and basically ruined his life. And it was, there was a lot more, there was a lot involved with that ruining his life part. Right. And I'm then just, they found out it was Eric Robert Rudolph, right? And then it became well, him. Eric Rudolph actually confessed to being the bomber. And I'm sure he was quite upset at somebody else taking credit for his hard work. Uh, because he was a dedicated terrorist and he had done not just this bombing, he had done many many bombings and so yeah that he that was something that he actually confessed to and it was you know it was just tragic what happened to him and then my book is uh is filled with stories my book the power investigators 
is unfortunately filled with stories like that of investigators that use their abilities uh, in a world that's not ready for their abilities yet. Of course, the world take their benefits, though, right. you know, in the form of having their lives saved. But, I mean, aren't, I mean, wouldn't you say that a lot of investigators get, investigators gather the facts and then they rely on instinct and int- intuition when interviewing suspects? So there's always been kind of a, you know, a paranormal approach in some senses to investigations. Would you agree with that? No, not in my experience. Okay. <laughs> they, they, you know, maybe, you know, the old time cops, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, the real, the real experienced police detectives who, who teach the rest of us how things really should be. And, and yeah, there are some of those, but unfortunately, you know, I, I wasn't exposed to too many of those. Uh, most of the most of the law enforcement officers I've always spent time with are just collectors of fact, collectors of you know gatherers of fact, and you know analyzers of fact as well, analyzers of material, and they don't they, and they and they're so browbeaten, especially as you go, you know, further up in the levels of law enforcement uh, to organizations like the FBI, they are so browbeaten into you know don't you know we don't want to know your intuition we don't want to just stick to the facts just give us what you can what you can prove what you can uh, actually prove with hard evidence by the way i have a i have a code translator when people uh say things to you like uh what hard evidence do you have all that there that what that phrase really means is what what evidence do you have that uh, mind-numbed robots can actually uh, go along with? <laughs> right. That's funny. And, and that's actually a, a consistent theme, I think, in your book is that, you know, you kind of uh, criticize this kind of rote learning from society. And, this, you know, I think that that's kind of one thing that you're railing against in yeah. throughout your book is there's, there's other things other than strict materialism. I was uh, I was part of the last generation of FBI agents who were taught in an old school way as far as crimes and uncovering mysteries. We were taught a very specific way of doing things, and that that way I I believe it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I was taught, for instance, I'll give you a quick example. I was taught when I do when I do an interview. Uh, you go through an interview and you always have, of course, you always have to have two, at least two agents uh, doing an interview. But you have the first agent with, there with a notepad talking to the to talking to the suspect, to the target, and they are taking notes as they are asking questions. But the second agent, you're supposed to have him there not doing anything, not taking notes. He's just supposed to be sitting and watching the subject for signs of discomfort, signs of uh, deception, and signs of uh, of comfort, of actual uh, forthrightness, of being truthful. And that's what they're supposed to do. That's what the second one is supposed to do. And and that's and you look at the body language. You have to study the body language. You study the face. Which way are they? Uh, the feet are pointing. The what's going on with the hands? And at the end of that interview, you also were supposed to provide some kind of assessment on possible truthfulness or even truthfulness, but comfort, comfort and or possible signs of deception. And that's I don't believe that that's done anymore. Uh, it's what, not what now they, uh, they now they record uh, they record uh, interviews and that's about it 
they wow. now they record these inter. I mean, the important interviews. Let me put it that way. They record the interviews, and the uh, FBI guy is just basically there. I don't know as a I don't know backup. I guess with uh, with notes. And I always say to FBI agents, I've always said this: if you don't do anything more than a robot with a tape recorder can do, then eventually you will be replaced by a robot with a tape recorder. And I'm sure there's a lot of old time uh, police detectives that have gone through the exact same process that I'm telling you right now that I went through. Interesting. Um, You know, when you're like that, what what would you recommend as far as this kind of para investigating to facilitate that change into a more intuitive or, or paranormal investigator? What would you recommend? What I what I always recommend is the same. I always recommend that uh, that police departments and um, training academies read my book, that they read my book, that they spread it and talk to each other about some about the themes, because because the only way to allow law enforcement to expand and to something something in, a, in an honest way is to actually go through the testimony of these cases where people's lives have been saved over and over and over again. And large numbers of people's lives have been saved by by officers and agents pursuing their intuition, pursuing their abilities that are not in this world. And being able to look at the Millennial Bomber. The Millennial Bomber case was a, a case in 2000 where a, a female customs agent had had absolutely, and this is in my book, The Power Investigators, where she had absolutely no physical evidence against uh, this Middle Eastern gentleman who was very nicely dressed, who was had all his papers in order, who had his his car was uh, was on a ship. He was ready to come into come into I believe. He was coming from Canada. He was a Canadian national. And she, but she just had this feeling. She just had this feeling that his answers were rehearsed and that something wasn't right. Yeah, you wrote that and, the, the chapter heading was too perfect. Yes, yes, that's the phrase. Uh, it just, everything about him was just too perfect. But, you know, it's like, when was, but how, when was the last time that, like you go out with a girl and you feel like, oh no, she's too perfect. This is too much. I, I can't, I can't do this. You know, it just doesn't seem like, it just doesn't seem like how could, how could that be a basis for intuition? Because I think what she had was more than intuition. She was being told something from a different place because sure enough, as she kept on interviewing him and interrogating uh, this young man, uh, he, she was able to develop not really probable cause, but she was able to develop enough reason because of his nervousness to just be searching his car, to be searching his car. And that's what they did. And and even that, she took a big risk. She took a big risk by doing that because she really didn't have any probable cause. I mean, you know, you know how the old game goes, you know, oh, he was glancing nervously. You know, he was glancing nervously. He, he started to uh, sweat a little bit from his forehead. It's like, yeah, sure, okay. But she had to use whatever she had because she had to search that car. She knew there was something in that car. And sure enough, the searches, uh, even though the dogs were negative, uh, the searches went through and they found that in a big amount of white powder. And, and she was like, and everybody was high-fiving her because they were like, yeah, cocaine. 
they were like, this is great. This is like, this is like several pounds of cocaine. This is amazing. And they were like, what the hell is, and they were, and her, compa- her, her compatriots were saying to her, you know, what are you, a witch? Because this was amazing that she found this in a hidden compartment underneath, uh, underneath a place where nothing should be in his car. And so they couldn't, this would have been the largest cocaine bust that any of them had ever come across in their lives. So they were really looking at her and saying, you are definitely some kind of a witch because this is unbelievable. Uh, this guy had nothing, had no suspicious, nothing suspicious about him at all. And as they're doing that, of course, they're testing the white powder. And, you know, you know the story. Uh, it comes back completely negative for cocaine or drugs of any kind. So now these guys were like, they didn't know what to do. They were like, they were completely stumped. And then somebody just got the bright idea, you know, we got to we gotta test it for some kind of, for other things. And they were like, what other things are there besides drugs? And they said, we got to test it for maybe it's explosive. And that's finally what they did. And as soon as they did that, the guy, of course, breaks, breaks, makes a run for it, tries to carjack somebody. And uh, then they bring him down. And eventually, of course, uh, they got rid of all the dogs they had, which were all drug dogs. And they brought in a new shift of dogs. And all the dogs were uh, explosives dogs. And of course, they found out that it was an enormous amount of explosives. And then they continued tearing the car apart and they found all kinds of uh, timers and mechanisms. And they they found out that, that uh, yeah, not only was her intuition uh, uh, justified, but that was justified to a level that none of them dreamed of because sure. this guy had enough explosives to kill dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, there were also hunches before 9-11, right, uh, that were not recognized uh, yes. by higher-ups. Do you want to? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. My book, uh, my book, uh, The Power Investigators, opens up with the story of the 9-11 Indigo Kids, uh, the Indigo Kids of 9-11. That's a better way to say it. And they were basically all these little kids all over the country. There are dozens of cases of these little kids who in the weeks and months before, actually, no, the weeks and days before 9-11 terrorist attacks happened were having visions and dreams and experiences of the actual 9-11 event. And they were, you know, there were little, I can tell you there's, and these kids weren't reported by their parents, of course, but they were reported by caretakers and uh, babysitters, uh, school bus drivers, by people who were who were around these kids when the incidents happened. We had, for instance, we had a little girl who was just sitting on a playground and she was not playing with any of the other kids. She's by herself, kind of doodling in the dirt there. And a teacher comes over to her and says, says uh, sweetheart, are you okay? And the little girl says, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just thinking. And then the teacher turns to walk away. And the little girl grabs her skirt and pulls down violently and tells her, please, tomorrow, stay away from tall buildings. Because tall buildings can fall down. And they sometimes they fall on people. Wow. And the teacher just chalks it off to, I guess, too much sugar and walks away. We had another little boy who was creating finger paints and um this is actually this is actually illustrated uh on the on my amazon on my trailer for the book the um power investigators uh and it's a little boy was just creating a finger paint of some scene and teacher comes over and says to the little boy oh that's very beautiful these two tall skyscrapers they're glowing and there's angels flying out of them. 
What are the where are the angels flying to? And the little boy said, Those buildings are not glowing, they're on fire. And those are not angels with wings, those are people who are on fire and they're jumping out of the buildings. So again, the teacher walks away and just thinks it's like too much sugar or something. Uh, had another little boy who woke up screaming on his school bus because he was having a nightmare of people on fire in a building and the building collapsing on them. Uh, so all of these cases didn't mean anything to anybody when they happened. Uh, but after 9-11 happened and there was this huge campaign for see something, see anything, say something and then report in and all that. Then these people reported these experiences and they told about these kids and these big strapping uh, uh, law enforcement guys, uh, FBI agents and officers, because the, these task forces were all over the country. They had to go and interview uh, eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds who were having these visions and these dreams and these uh, these experiences, and they had to treat it as a real serious thing because it had to be, it had to be vetted out for any possible connection to terrorism. Interesting. And, yeah. So of course, every one of these cases was negative for any, but these yeah, poor. I had yeah. read about other premonitions. People had claimed that they had seen you know the towers go down before September 11th. So I knew, I had heard those kind of. You know rumors of those types of things happening as well not the children that you wrote about but just in other you know readings online yeah i have too i've heard about a lot of adults yeah. that uh had them but you know who's gonna uh who's gonna report them you know these are you know these are kids being reported by other people right. so that's that's what makes it uh particularly uh interesting it's remarkable yeah um you know you had you you had talked about kind of uh investigating into UFOs and things like that. I found it interesting that you didn't give a lot of the UFO story, stories much credence. You talked about a kind of 6% rule. Can you talk about a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great uh, former NASA scientist named Stanton Friedman. And he gets... He gets a lot of uh, flack from, some, from a lot of his fellow scientists. Uh, and uh, he has a great saying I like. He says... So what if 95% of UFO cases are fraud or untrue or just not enough evidence to, to uh, prove whether they are correct or not? That has nothing to do with me. All I care about is the 5%, if that, of UFO cases that are actually completely unexplainable and quite possibly extraterrestrial. And that's how I feel about it too. You know, even if there's, even if it's only a tiny percentage of UFO cases that are completely unexplainable and possibly extraterrestrial in nature, and that adds up to huge numbers yeah, still big. of of UFO cases every single year in every major country. So yeah, they. I do believe that uh, UFO, that even a tiny portion of these cases actually are truly unexplainable and are actually are probably our extraterrestrial nature or as i would say extra dimensional see i was going to ask you that question do you believe in actual outside of this planet or outside of this dimension you know i'm more i opt i mean i haven't really researched ufos as much but i opt towards the extra dimensional uh quality of these not extraterrestrial yeah i recommend that people uh, get my book the extra dimensionals true tales and concepts of alien visitors uh because i go into a lot of cases uh some of 
well-known classic cases of, uh, of extra-dimensional uh, experiences by people, and some cases people have never heard of. Yeah, because I do believe that alien visitors are real, that they are uh, visiting the Earth through the Earth, but I believe that they are not necessarily physical in our universe, uh, that they are not uh, cramming them. They are not like humans, like we've been taught. Uh, they're not uh, cramming themselves into these little metal shells and sailing across the galaxies uh, at the speed of light or, or more than that. Uh, they are actually extra dimensional. They are appearing here through the earth and from other dimensions of reality. Yeah, and you mentioned in your book that some of these experiences these investigators are having are extra dimensional, that they are having these, ex and I thought that was fascinating too, like these encounters with spirits or encounters with events are extra dimensional. So that was, that was another interesting aspect to your book. Yeah, and it does seem like it's, uh, I, I believe that the UFO, uh, the UFO extraterrestrial experience has, probably has more in common with ghosts and maybe crypto creatures as well uh, than it does with anything physical, because it just seems like a lot of these these uh, these phenomena appear to be extra dimensional in nature, appearing from someplace else and going back to another place as well. That's, that's fascinating. I think that's interesting. Um, we let's see. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of your kind of uh, experiences in the FBI, some of the cases, if you mind talking about that maybe, and then we can kind of wrap up by talking about your opinions on current events. I mean, I know that you had talked about the smiley face killers. I would love to hear, hear your opinion on that too. Um, well, let me let me get into the uh, smiley face killers uh, by, by saying, by concluding with a statement uh, on the on the FBI. Okay. Let me tell you this: uh, the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation is a criminal. Uh, it's a criminal investigative agency. It's also it has a second. That's its primary purpose for existing, uh, and it has a secondary purpose, which is collection of intelligence and intelligence-related investigations as well. So that's a secondary, but primarily it's criminal investigative agency, uh, and that's its purpose. Now, when you know something is going wrong with the, that organization is when they are fulfilling a political purpose because they're not a political organization and they shouldn't be doing political things. Now, here's a, here's a statement that, uh, that I found shocking. And, you know, you're not supposed to read on radio, but I have to – it's just a short statement and there's no other way except to read it. Sure. This is a this is a statement concerning the smiley face murders, uh, as they phrased it, the smiley face murders. And well, let me tell people uh, for any who uh, any who don't know, the smiley face uh, killers is the theory that refers to the many drowning deaths of college age men uh, throughout the United States. Majority, vast majority of these drownings happen after leaving bars and nightclubs, early hours of the morning or late at night, uh, and these young men always happen to be uh, very good-looking, uh, very uh, bright, athletic. They just always this—that's just the way these these murders uh, these murders occur. And the most logical, accepted scenario for these murders uh, is that the young men were drinking, 
uh, or and wandered off in a drunk stupor or on drugs, and and they just fell into a body of water, a shallow body of water, usually, almost always. Yes. Uh, and so, of course, we have uh, there's two uh, retired detectives from New York City who uh, put forth the smiley face murders theory at first and developed evidence to show that it was uh, to support it. And uh, a great deal of evidence, I might say. Gannon and Duarte. Uh, Yes. And um, as far as, uh, and I don't want to talk about the individual cases because I'll have police chiefs calling me up and saying, saying nasty things to me. Uh, But, but I can talk about the cases generally and generally every single one of these young men were very fit a lot of times varsity athletes uh, with their letters and everything, popular, uh, very good-looking young men by any standards, not whatever you consider good-looking to be. Some were good and, swimmers too, very good swimmers. Yes, and regardless, they were great athletes in some sport somewhere. And the, and the theory comes, of course, from the fact that graffiti always appears in the form of a smiley face that it's, it appears near the body of water where uh, where the murders uh, where the the deaths occur, and the detectives believe this this mark this smiley face is the mark of a group of serial killers. That is the smiley face uh, murder uh, theory. Now, having said that, let me let me just show you an organization doing what they're not supposed to do. Here is a statement from the FBI National Press Office, and anybody can look this up online. It's the FBI statement regarding the Midwest River deaths issued April 29th, 2008. It says as follows. The FBI has reviewed the information about the victims provided by two retired police detectives who have dubbed these incidents the, quote, smiley face murders, unquote, and interviewed an individual who provided information to the detectives. To date, we have not developed any evidence to support links between these tragic deaths and any evidence substantiating the theory that these deaths are the work of a serial killer or group of serial killers. The vast majority of these instances appear to be alcohol-related drownings. The FBI will continue to work with local police in the affected areas to support as requested. Okay, this is the announcement that they put out and it is completely inappropriate for them to do so uh, in other words they were ordered by somebody to put out this statement contrary to their basic function they are this is a political wow. statement the, when you're out there they are there to state if a crime has occurred and if if this is you know if it's a terrorism it's whatever that's what they're there for they this saying that this is there are no smiley face murders that's the function of the mayor of the town that's a political function wow. folks law enforcement has looked into this they have uh, they have investigated this thoroughly and i've looked at it and i'm just here to tell you folks and again this is an announcement from the mayor of the town that she should have given uh, and i'm here to tell you there's no serial killer folks you guys can you guys can relax this does not this does not exist that this is not an investigative statement to be made. And so that right away, when I see the FBI put out a, a completely inappropriate statement like this, that a serial killer does not exist, because they're there to tell me that a serial killer does exist right. and that a crime is being committed. That's their function. It's like a positive <laughs> statement, not a negative <laughs> yeah, statement. Why exactly. do you, what are the politics? Why do you think they put that out? or who because, told they them? Were, because they were ordered to. From who? Ah, 
That's the relevant question, isn't it? Because as far as I can see, you know, the uh, the the director or the president doesn't doesn't give a crap about uh, whether there are smiley face killers or not. They don't care. So who would care that much? Well, to me, I believe it's the people who are sponsoring the smiley face killers, the people who are above national authority. That's what I believe. But that's a little bit that's a little bit further on uh, although i think we just have an hour right okay well we can we so, can go as far over as you like I mean, oh okay we're, good very comfortable all right I mean, then i just don't i, I, I don't say... want to put you you know it's friday night i don't want to you know make you cut into okay, dinner with no no that's good i'm glad okay. you told me that okay. because the people i believe the order for this when you see a national agency acting completely against their interest against their mission and doing something that they're not supposed to be doing that means they were ordered to from a very high level and as far as i can tell the president wouldn't give a crap about this situation so do you know when they made that, o- that announcement do you know what year that, that- april april 29th 2008, 2008. In, res- okay, so in response to the midwest river deaths okay great thank you and I'm so I vaguely remember that yeah, and so when I see that, I know that something really big is going down. Uh, and because of my knowledge, skills, and experience, I can tell something smells really bad here. And to me, as far as I'm concerned, the only ones who would have given the order to to for the FBI to put out a statement like this are the same ones who are giving the order for all the police department, various police departments to make sure that they find uh, a high level of alcohol in the bodies of these young men, uh, that, uh, that, uh, there's a record of depression in the background of these young men when there is none, when it doesn't exist and to find other ancillary things that explain away these deaths. Well, they make, as, they make sound, a lot of these people sound suicidal, but they're not, yes. they're actually out <laughs> exactly. having fun partying hanging out with friends right. there's right. no plan i mean it's exactly. a very strange thing to plan a suicide but right. go out with friends till one o'clock at night it doesn't right it doesn't make sense right so why are they so interested in generating this nonsense about uh suicide and depression when it's so easy to pr- when the, so easy for the family just to prove that it's wrong and it's not right and the answer I've is talked, this. i've talked to many of the families they don't believe any of these stories that of they're course depressed. dakota of james course. recently was found in the Ohio and Pittsburgh, missing 40 days out with yeah. a night with friends. And, yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah. He, he wasn't in the water 40 days, I can tell you that. Absolutely. He was somewhere. Right. And so where was he? Somebody had him yes. uh, in a place. Right. In a place. And again, I, I don't have hard evidence of this, but they had him in a place where they were committing some kind of ritualistic actions that were going forward over a long period of time. And that's that's what I believe that they were doing. Again, I don't want to comment on any individual case. Interesting. But, but what I want to say is when you see, uh, in a, but I want to comment generally, that when you see lots of police departments across the nation all coming up with the same script, the same script, it's almost like it's issued to them and they're told what to look for. Uh, because... Because look at this. The reason I read this statement from the FBI is because it's part of it is, and you know, there's there's a lot of tragedy here, but yes. part of this statement just it makes me chuckle. It makes me laugh because it's just so funny. Because the most ludicrous thing you can say, you know, this is and this was written by an attorney. Obviously, you know, you're an attorney, so yeah, am I. So I can so hear we, the. I, I know the attorney language. You know, <laughs> exactly. when Alex Jones makes a general exactly. thing about PizzaGate, 
I, it yeah. just sounds exactly like an attorney wrote it. I mean, it's just like, yeah. come on, you're talking and, to somebody. Exactly. Somebody's so so it. listen to this sentence. To date, we have not developed any evidence to support links. Between, and this same sentence is given to all the police departments as well. To date, we have not developed any evidence to support links between these tragic deaths and or any evidence of substantiating the theory of the smiley face killers. Okay, so basically what they and all these police departments also, they use the same sentence. It's almost like it's issued to them from oh, someone. Just astonishing insight, and, man. And really what that sentence, that yeah, yeah, and what that sentence is really saying is, well, you know what? That thing that you're saying exists, it doesn't exist because I haven't found any evidence of the thing that I don't care about and that I don't believe in anyway. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking for that. But and I didn't find that, so therefore it doesn't exist. It's circular logic. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Circular logic. Somebody is feeding these police departments these denials. Wow. Exactly. It's just incredible because these are same. The real the case that got me interested in this. Well, there were other things that I kept seeing smiley faces around in weird places that outside of these cases. But it was the Joey Labute case where he was in Columbus, Ohio. And everybody, he was out at a bar, and he disappeared, and that was it. Like, this guy's fitting a profile. They're looking for him, and sure enough, he's found in the Scioto River, like, a month later. Well, where where was this guy? And it, his body was in decent shape. Very, very strange, and there's a real, like you said, there's a real heartbreaking aspect to these cases, because in my research, I went to a Facebook page where a mother of her son who was lost to one of these deaths, 2008, is posting every birthday every christmas it breaks your heart like she's missing she wants her son back so uh, i talked to some of the mothers of these people and none of them believe the police none of them none of them said oh yeah he just committed suicide none of them believe it no i haven't had one that said the police story's correct maybe paul kochu that's the only father out of 50 who said it yeah. And again, let me repeat, I cannot comment on individual cases because the relevant uh, P- the relevant PDs will contact me and, and, and harass me for specific evidence. And I don't have that. What, what I have is I have the knowledge, skills and experience to know when there's patterns and clues that connect to each other over dozens, yeah. dozens of cases. Yeah that come together to show that there's something more going on here. Okay. And William here, listen, this is why I want you to be on. I want you to eventually be on television, uh, going around to these shows talking about these cases. Uh, there was a, in this, and I'm sure, I'm sure you know about this. There was a, this is the next ludicrous state. This is the next ridiculous statement that I'm going to talk about. Uh, besides the FBI statement, which was ridiculous. Uh, there was a criminal profiler, I don't even want to say her name, but she's the one who kind of piled on and went on TV shows and piled on to uh, to the uh, chorus of mainstream media that, of course, were locked arms with the uh, police departments to say that there's no there's no uh, smiley face killers are you know it's just another Bigfoot uh, theory right. by people, and she literally she literally said that the on on television she said the smiley face. Uh, killer theory is quote ludicrous arguing that the evidence does not in any of these cases does not even fit what is known about serial killers this person described themselves as a criminal profiler i still can't find i still can't find what uh, police agency she has worked with wow 
That's um, even more incredible because but she was making without all a background the making those statements. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she has some kind of, I mean, she has a company that, uh, she has a company that is a private company that calls themselves, uh, criminal profilers and they rent themselves out for something, some kind of criminal investigations, but in the private capacity, well, but I won't name she, other names, but I've researched some of these other criminal profilers in there. Very mercenary, <laughs> very mercenary. Yeah. I mean, and she's the one, she's the one who made the famous statement. I should say infamous statement that, it's another reason this serial killer, the smiley face theory is ridiculous is because the smiley face graffiti is not an unusual a symbol. And here's her quote that was published everywhere. Quote, if you look in any area five miles square, I bet you could find a smiley face. Wow. All right. She she said it's so common that you could just find it anywhere you walk. There was another case by another people that said the the smiley face symbol is too prevalent. It's not relevant. There's other investigators into these cases that's not relevant. Well, it's very relevant (laughs) when it shows up next to somebody who disappeared and then was found in water and they're missing for a long period of time. That's the problem. A booth out of Philadelphia. There was a smiley face right behind the bar. He was found. He was found. He died. I mean, according to the research that uh, Gannon and Gilbertson did, he died 24 hours before he was found, and he was missing 13 days. Yeah. Well, that that statement, that statement, which is, I mean, that statement is shaped to go to the very heart of the smiley face killer theory and destroy it. And the reason it's it's ridiculous statement is because. We all have walked around in the woods. I, you know, I go on a regular, I go on a regular jog in, in the woods. Everyone has walked around. When's the last time you randomly found a smiley face? Never. Yeah, exactly. A child could tell that this is BS, absolute BS statement yeah. to say uh, that the smiley face symbol is so common you could find it anywhere. Well, how about a smiley face with horns? Right. A lot of the a lot of the symbols were smiley faces with horns. Is that it's that com- so common too? Well, there's also could... another one with an X in the forehead, which has an occult meaning. That was like something that um, Manson used to do to his followers: is put an X on their forehead. Yes, so that's an even yeah. deeper occult meaning. Um, so there's yeah. a lot there. I mean, there's a lot I could I'd like to talk to you about, but I don't want to put it on the record. But there's the smiley face has an esoteric meaning. You know, there's a public yes. Meaning. There's a and, smiley and, face you send on a on a messenger text, but some people use it. And a lot of words, I mean, in the occult, words have two meanings. There's all kinds of dual meanings for symbols and things like that. So, yeah. And let me just let me just I might as well just I might as well just say I mean this is this is way out there, but it's what I believe is true because according to the patterns that I see, and also because I'm a I'm a student of history and ancient religions, and I and you probably have heard me uh, put this forward before. I believe that the smiley face murders are real, that they are a group of serial killers, and that they are killing young men all over the country. Um, And again, this is not based on any specific hard evidence that I have. This is based on my knowledge, skills, and experience, and the patterns and the clues that I see across these many, many, many dozens of cases all over the country that continue to occur, by the way, they with all pulled, the same MOs. They just pulled Kelleher from the, the water in Boston on Easter, um, Easter yeah. morning. So, yeah, that was... And here's and here's what, and here's what one of the most dishonest statements I've heard. Uh, 
the serial killer uh, theory, uh, the smiley face killer theory is ludicrous because it the evidence does not fit what is known about serial killers. Now, the reason that that's so that's a deceptive, the reason it's deceptive is because, it, of course, it's true, but that's because this is a novel group of serial killers. This is something we have not seen before. Correct. But so what? Everything that ever occurs is always never been seen before until it happens. That's that's the thing about the SMKs. They are doing something completely different and new. And so they always the they always make sure they have the elements of deniability built in to their actions. In other words, they will only only target uh, they will only target peep kids who have alcohol in their system. I believe that if you are if you are targeted by the SMKs and they are looking to kill you, but you go to that bar and you decide not to drink any alcohol that night, they will not target, they will not go through with it. They will not take down that I, young man. I totally agree, and I believe that there's an element of drugging with other drugs that aren't found in their system, whether it's yes. GHB or something else. It may yes. not just be alcohol, but yes. there is somebody, I mean, there are stories that I have read of somebody who has been approached by some, a man and asked him strange questions, and it was almost like the guy thought he was being I paced. remember that. Yeah. So yeah. there, there now, are people who've gotten away. There was a story a guy woke up in a river. Um, yeah. There's people who've woken up, and you know, I think that um, the kind of slipping a Mickey roofied element, women know not to leave their drink there, but men don't. So I do think exactly. that you're absolutely right. So uh, men exactly. don't. Men aren't a really don't think they're a target population. They don't think that yes. they they don't think walking home at night is is a problem. You know, yes. which is a mistake. Now, Yes, and in keeping with what you just said, may I just give a PSA just for a minute please, here? Please do. Uh, this public service announcement. Please, anybody listening to my voice, if you, and this is this is an awkward statement to make, but if you know any young men who are good-looking, athletic, who are uh, who are like the good-looking and athletic young men, let's just put it that way. Please. Tell them, do not drink alcohol in public. I know this is hard too. I mean, I know this is hard to say, but don't drink alcohol in public. Uh, just don't do it. Go drink at the flat. Go drink at the frat house. Go drink when you're home with your friends. Don't don't drink when you're out in public, because you become a target. Uh, and the SMKs are out there. I absolutely believe they are out there, and they are scoping these young men before before the night that they're out drinking because they are picking these young men very carefully. If you just go look at how good-looking and athletic these young men are. So just please don't drink in public. Uh, you know, if you're going to go out in public to a bar with your friends, I don't know, just drink water, drink soda, I, just drink something else. Secondly, don't, if, you're, if you are out and you, and you have to drink with your friends, Stay with your friends. Stay with your friends. Don't go with anyone, uh, no matter how good-looking the girl is, no matter how good-looking the boy is. Don't go out. Don't leave your friends. You come with them, go with them. Don't leave them. And thirdly, and lastly, if you're out, and I don't care how you were the captain of the football team, I don't care how athletic you are, how big and strong you are, if you're a young good-looking guy, don't walk by yourself at night. Even if it's just going out to the car and it's and you're in a remote area, 
don't walk. You're you're at the most social time in your life. You should, you're always around people. You should always be around people. Don't walk anywhere. Don't walk at night by yourself, even even if you're a football player. Just don't do it. Anyway, that's my PSA. Please, please put that out I'll, to any young men that you know and I'll, make them listen to it. Because I, I put that out. I'll, 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 I'm going to take this that out of this conversation and just do an individual. Thing. I've actually posted PSAs on my social media, but I really Good. appreciate you making that statement because you've encapsulated so many of the case uh, histories into, you know, what has happened in those cases into that PSA where people walk yeah. to their car, they're alone, and there may be women involved. That's what's even more terrifying is oh, that yeah. okay, the lure let me tell is you. a woman. The lure is a woman, right. so a man doesn't see it coming. And let me finish that PSA by just saying, the reason I say this to you is because I want to save your life and because the smiley face killers are real. They are out there and they are targeting these exact profile of young men. And just you have to keep yourself safe because they are out there and they are looking. Yeah, I can't and, even I can't even list. It's at least 10 or 15 of these young men who have left a bar by themselves, whether they got kicked out, oh. whether the kickout was very suspicious in itself kicked out and not let back in so there they are outside alone you know and then they now disappear. let me tell you now let me tell you who's who is actually doing the smk uh killings it is an operational group i used to have a chart of this um i probably have it somewhere but it this is an operational group and the only way we know this is, is know the structure of this group is if you've worked intelligence agencies task forces uh, in the in the national security world this is an operational group that is highly financed that has unlimited resources and that is constructed of in the middle of this it's like a triangle in the middle there's going to be a honeypot which means a very attractive young woman and possibly and probably a very attractive young man that is the honeypot core of the operational group. Then there's going to be a third person, third person, uh, who is going to be the logistical person, the logistical uh, leader, sort of, who is the third man, who is the person who actually makes sure everything is going smoothly, that the target is doing what they're supposed to do, like consuming alcohol and, you know, looking to, I don't know, get laid probably. And... And that's the person who gives the actual green light or the red light on the entire operation. Then at the outside peripheral, you're going to have the two security security people. These are going to be pretty large, strong men, most likely, because they're going to be probably very large, but also they'll be on the peripheries. So they will probably make themselves invisible. So you're, you're talking about a fire team. Uh, it's kind of like a fire team of a task force, a operational group of at least five people. That's at least five people right there. And they, but they won't be together. They'll be, you know, spread out. The security, it has to be at least two people on security because they might need to overpower a guy who was a captain of the football team very quickly and very efficiently. So therefore the security has to be two men, at least two men. Uh, so you're talking about a fire team of five people at least but who may not necessarily be together unless you know you're looking for them you're not going to know that they're even together because they're only going to be giving eye signals to each other or sending text but, through messaging or something like exactly that. Code exactly words. Yeah, code exactly words. and and most likely the security guys are not even going to be needed ever 
uh, throughout the entire night, but they'll still be present. They'll still be there. So this is the kind of group that we're talking about. And I believe that this is this is a functioning, highly operating, highly trained group that is carrying out ritualistic sacrifice murders. Because the pattern that I see here, it goes back, the pattern that I see here is is uh, the one that goes back to ancient religions in ancient times and you can study this you can look this up in ancient religions there used to be what's called the law of sacrifice law of sacrifice means uh, that you take the best of the flock in other words you have a flock of sheep you had to take the best of your rams it always had to be the male animal the male animal the female animals were not good for sacrifice they were not considered to have the whatever value is needed uh, by God or whatever. And so they were, it always had to be the male animal, the ram or, or the bull, and it had to be the most perfect animal. It had to be the animal that didn't have any defect. In other words, didn't have a single gray hair on his, on his uh, wool. Like the unspotted his, lamb or whatever. Exactly, exactly. It had to be the most perfect animal for if you're trying to honor your God. In this case, it's a very dark God. Uh, but they are – so that explains it always being a male. And that explains it always being these good-looking athletes, athletic young men. Because this is a sacrifice ritualistic killing. And also, under the law of sacrifice, you had to use a method of killing that actually leaves the, leaves the creature – leaves the creature untouched until it's time to consume them. That's why the methods, the best methods of killing the animal, the male animal in the under sacrifice, was always water or fire. Fire or water. Because it doesn't harm or break any bones on the creature. It's a but it can but until the moment of it the creature is being consumed. And even after they're being consumed, the body is not damaged, and supposedly that has some connection with the spirit that is given over to the uh, to the to the god yeah. or something. I think that there's so, a spiritual aspect to it, definitely. So I believe that this this is the nature of this operational group. They are probably highly they are paramilitary trained, and they are and they are very real, but they are carrying out a religious function, which is the weird crossover here which is the and i believe that they are being that they are being funded they are being sponsored from globalist sources and when i say globalists i mean the epic the elite powers in control the ones that tell the nations what to do and give the nations their marching orders that's what i believe is going on fascinating that's just an amazing analysis i mean many of my conclusions were very similar to yours uh there's just it's just like a remarkable uh, they have to be working in a group and trained to pull this off you know to not just the abduction but also the dumping you know so there's yes. also a very somewhat seemingly highly intelligent concerted effort to put the bodies back in the water that's why they're not yes. seen that's why that that's why the person is never seen drowned or anything they're just found in the water um but yeah it's just a highly it's, skilled highly trained group and they know what they're doing. And the most important part is the cover-up afterward because they always know they're going to be secure and that higher-ups are always going to tell the police what they're supposed to look at 
and what they're not. And they, they're very secure that they will never, they will never be interfered with ever. That's just incredible because in some of these cities like Minnesota, where there's been so many bodies found in the water, there has, there should just be a PSA for these students to be careful at night, but there's not, you know? And I think that there's also an aspect in these cases where there's a lot of money involved. The parents, you know, the universities don't want um, the parents to know their kids could be abducted and end up in yeah. water. So I think that <laughs> yeah. that's one aspect of it. Yeah, you know? it's the old, we don't want to hurt tourism Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's like the, yeah. what is it, Jaws or whatever. Come on, you can't say there's right. a shark in the water. Right, this so let's keep, let's let, right? yeah. yeah, so let's let people keep on being crunched up and eaten. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's what's so heartbreaking about this because these, these are deaths that uh, we need to prevent. Yes. We need to do something. And I, you know, as simple as, and I swear, I swear, I believe that if one of these young men are targeted by the SMKs and he goes to that bar and he, he doesn't drink, he refuses to drink alcohol that night, I believe they will leave him alone. I think so too. Because, because they have certain, they're an operational group. They have certain, they're highly disciplined and they have certain parameters that they have to work within. And if there's not alcohol in the young man's system, that, that could blow their cover right there Absolutely. that they have been so careful to build up for so long so they get you know, the police that investigative out. It's just another drunk kid. You know, yeah, he fell in the shallow water, you know, and, and they cannot. But there so, have been a few cases where people have been attempted abduction. If you go to my YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates, there was one in Marham in the UK where a guy was out jogging, fit the profile, young, healthy, and two guys jumped out of a van and tried to get him. And, and the police say there were other people in that van. And so that it looked like it was an operation, you know, like there were more people involved. And there was something like that that happened down here in L.A. where guys were driving around in vans abducting women. They caught them only with one, but there may have been other victims. And they would put wow. them in the van and chain them. And they weren't, they were sloppy, not like these SFK guys. I think the SFK guys are, they make sure people get drugged first. I, and I yeah, and I don't, there. exactly, and I don't believe they would ever go after a woman. I, it doesn't fit into the ritualistic uh, aspect of these murders. I, I think they will only go after males, and that, uh, and also, but let me tell you about the uh, the one that you just said where they jumped out at the, the young man okay. uh, running. Uh -huh. Yes, let me tell you about that. Uh, there is an indicator that there is some breaking ranks in this operational group. And I'll tell you what it is, because they are not, because when you're, when you're doing an activity like this, uh, murders, uh, all over, all over the nation and maybe all over the world too, uh, it does have some psychological toll. And what happens is members of, no matter how well trained the group is, there can be some breaking ranks and the creation of the smiley face is an act of rebellion from within the group because that is not authorized. That is definitely not authorized to be done. But, you know, doing, uh, there's going to be a certain amount of a, of a neurosis going on in the minds of people who are doing this kind of stuff, no matter how well trained they are. And I believe the fact that they're out there creating the smiley face it's just kind of a way for them to blow off steam and to and to kind of let the world know, get some notoriety. And probably probably the uh, people who have been doing those smiley faces are eliminated even from the group Interesting. Uh, and and probably <laughs> probably replaced by others who, again, 
probably go back to making the smiley face because they like that and they enjoy it. Well, there, that's and, interesting you say that because in Booth's, in the case of Booth, there's a belief on the investigators and the mother that he was set up to be eliminated because he didn't say that he was going to be part of it, you know, that he, oh. interesting. Yeah. So both the, that's what they think happened. And there was a smiley face on that case that was uh, outside of Philadelphia. But, yeah. Uh, because the only way that you're going to have a group like this functioning and doing this job so well, incredibly well for so long and over such a long expanse over so many States is for them to have unlimited resources and sponsorship i mean they got to be very well financed very well trained and that is not gonna that has to be from global shop that cannot be that's not a national thing that's it's not the cia it's not some national uh, group that come above that's the only way that could be fascinating yeah that's uh well i really appreciate you providing that analysis i think your your yours is really the best that I've heard of all the people in the twenty years of of uh, people investigating this case. I think yours is really really spot on. It's amazing. So I really appreciate that. Um, you just to, to kind of wrap up, Mr. D'Souza. You are also going to be uh, coming out with other books. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, my uh, next book is uh, called The Clear Hearers, and that'll be coming out in a couple of months or so. And then I, I saw that. You have a couple other dimensionals, transcendence. You have some other kind of uh, books on similar on the same subject. What was the name of the extraterrestrial, extra dimensional one? What was that? The, the prior. Book? Oh, that's my that's my latest book that's out now. It's called the Extra Dimensionals: True Tales and Concepts of Alien Visitors. And uh, do you have like a, a website for these books? Yes, my website is uh, johntamabooks.com. Uh, John Tama. T like Tom, A, M like Mary, A, johntamabooks.com. My uh, email is johntamabooks at gmail.com. And that I can be reached there anytime. My books are available uh, only pretty much only through Amazon and through my, because of an agreement with Amazon, uh, through Amazon. And and I can put it out through my website also eventually. Awesome. Well, uh, I really enjoyed reading The Para-Investigators. I thought it was a great book. I definitely recommend that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about the book and your opinion about the Smiley Face Killers and put out that PSA, which I will extract from our interview and also get that out there. So thank you Good. very put, much. Put some scary music behind it okay, to wake these kids up. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's <laughs> legit. It is for real. There's no question. So, you, John, was, De- yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Go I was ahead. serious. No, I, yeah. Um, John D'Souza, D'Souza, author of The Para Investigators. Thank you, Mr. D'Souza. Thanks, man. It's been great. Awesome, man. That was great. So I really appreciate everything, man. Just a great interview. Awesome. Thanks, man. You too. Real good, real good stuff. And uh, yeah. If you find anybody who wants to put me on TV, let me know. Get in contact with me. Yeah, man, but they got to see you first. You got to do do like the thing I do. You know, I, I go on anybody has video shows. Uh, I go on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I'm and, at that uh, point where, where I'm willing. If they want to talk about the smiley face killers live, I'll go live, even if the crazy OTO people see my face. Oh yeah, just uh, yeah, but then uh, you just gotta um start uh, doing your uh, your YouTube appearances, man. Yeah. Just uh, get it out there because they want to see what you look like. People want to see what you look like. That's true. I mean, I uh, mean, you 
you sound like you fit the profile of uh, smiley face killer victims. Maybe when I was so. younger. I'm 48, so <laughs> I mean, I, I could have back in the day. You never know. I got lucky. I was very carefree. I walked home all the time. Uh, I'll drink uh, any beer. I walk home to the bathroom, leave my beer there. I, I go. It could have been a victim. That's the interesting thing about the smiley face killers is that it's fairly recent. It's only about a 25 year time frame, maybe 30 years. Like the original death was McNeil. That was kind of victim zero, 1997. So. Oh, wow.